Welcome to the LaRouge Rugby Podcast with your hosts, Derek Brissett, Stu Hardy, and Dan Murphy. Again, Jacobs at all. Oh, what a ball away to Hello everyone, happy belated Canada Day, happy belated 4th of July, and welcome to another episode of LaRouge Rugby Podcast. You know, it's summertime here up in Canada, up here in Ontario, but you know, it's also signing season. So gentlemen, I have with me Derek Brissett and Stu Hardy. How are we feeling about this warm weather and all these uh, big signings that have been happening here in MLR and across the world with some Canadians? Well, uh, as a ginger, the heat is uh, getting to me, so I'm making sure to apply my Factor 100 and uh, drink enough water. Um, bit of an issue at the moment. The water I'm getting is coming from beer, so uh, I'll have to mm. fix that as soon as possible. Um, but as for the signings, yes, definitely some big names, big locations. Definitely looking forward to talking about them. Yeah, I mean, it should be a fun episode. I think, you know, we've all get to enjoy some nice weather now that comes sometimes sparingly in Canada, but now it's like, it's at that point where it's like, okay, it's too hot outside. We can go back down. Can we live up to the stereotype of being the really cold country? Um, But you know what, gentlemen, I kind of did actually want to ask you something because there was a kind of a fun sort of rugby lore thing that happened over this week, which was Dan Carter suited up for his old club of Southbridge to basically just, play in a club game a little bit of rehab hopefully we'll get to see him in a blues uniform during the super rugby campaign here um so like just i'm just kind of like what would you guys do you just rolled up dan you rolled up to peterborough you're like you're getting all your pagans gear on here and you're like looking across the pitch and you see dan carter roll up what's going through your head at that point in time i saw the gif of that the, the other team's hooker absolutely plowing into him and I think that's all I'm going to try and do. I'm trying to hit Dan Carty as hard as I can because he is a slippery son of a gun, even though at 40-something years old, I am trying to hit him, and that is going to be something I'm going to make sure that the camera is looking at. I'm going to say, make sure you capture that because that will be framed on my wall. Yeah, you know uh, that uh, You know the, that hooker's friends are never going to hear that story ever again, right? Oh, yeah. Like, it'll uh, never happen. It'll never come no. out, not over a pint of beer or anything. No. He'll never... Yeah. How fast until his friends get sick of hearing the fact that he hit Dan Carter in a game? Or like every time they're in an argument over like a text group, he just sends the gif. <laughs> just sends it. <laughs> yeah, I have, to, I have to agree. I think every, everything I've seen about that club game, uh, a video was posted on the BBC Rugby Twitter feed um, with an interview with Dan Carter after the game. And all the footage is, is slow motion footage of Dan Carter passing the ball and then being brought to ground by opposite players. The funniest one is uh, Dan passes the ball and then is tackled by one player. And then another player comes in, sees Dan Carter, knows he's too late for the tackle, but still goes down with him to try and just push him into the ground. And I find that absolutely hilarious just to be like, oh, yeah, I tackled Dan Carter. Definitely, we got I video help. footage of it. And 
I don't know, maybe it looks better in uh, real time, but uh, in slow motion, you can see all the decision-making going on of in the exact wording of what he wants to say when he's in the pub afterwards of saying, oh, yeah, you know, all black great, but I brought him to ground, pinned him down, game over after he was uh, interacting with me, definitely. <laughs> see, this, see, this is all kind of fun because I feel like part of this is like, Dan Carter is a fly half, very skilled position. Now, I'm wondering, like, who would be the guy that it's like, if you were like, you saw him across the pitch, you'd be like, you know what, guys, I'm, I got the flu. I'm, uh, I can't play. I can't. Who, who's that guy for, who's the one guy that's like, you know what, man, uh, this is a club game. I don't get paid for this. I am, I'm, I'm, I'm not lacing up the boots today. I think it's easy to pick one of the big lads, you know, uh, prop or a hooker who's, you know, someone who will can definitely put you in the hospital. But I got to say, I am, I'm taking my shirt off and turning to the dressing room. If I look up and I see opposite me, it's TJ Perinara. Cause I know that I have no hope in hell of catching him. He, he could be the opposite end of the pitch. I could be perfectly safe and I know he's definitely going to get past me at some point. So that's, yeah, I'm. If uh, Perinara is on the other end, I'm. Uh, I'm throwing in the towel. That's it. Also, man, I wonder if you would do like a haka, like a club haka, lead that to start. Uh, yeah, I'm going with an all black as well. And if I see Kieran Reed across the pitch, I'm. I'm retiring. I'm done. Like yeah. he is horrifying to like watch play, and I. I just like I couldn't do it. The fact that it's like when I see him run, it's like watching like like an ostrich on the hunt. Like there's power <laughs> and there's speed and height and it just, it's too much. So that, that's my answer. Kieran Reed would terrify me. Yeah. I think I would, I'm going to go, I don't really know, but like, like, I mean, I'm not even sure. Cause I was like, if, if it was back when he was playing, this would, I would definitely like run, but it's like now that he's retired and is 48 years old, I'd probably still be like, yeah, but it's still Brian Lima. And that man is nicknamed the chiropractor for a reason. And um, <laughs> I just, I don't know if I feel like being on the receiving end of one of those. If you go like, you, like the guy has like 10 minute long highlight reels of hits on YouTube. And I feel like I do not want to be added to one of those. You know, it's kind of strange after the first season of the arrows that uh, some of my, my friends who played for the Piro Pagans, uh, I had to play against, you know, teams like the Toronto Nomads that I had, like, Peter Malazzo. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, Peter Malazzo, like, steals a bunch of lineouts and makes, like, almost all of his tackles. Insane. <laughs> and, like, or the Van Horns or, you know, yeah. Wayne, Marcello Wainwright. Like, it's like, these, these guys got to be banned. I understand that they need to be, you know, stay fit. Well, yeah. Terrifying. You know what? It's, it's one of those things that's, like, I kind of feel like, you know, like, professional rugby in Canada is still kind of new. But I feel like professional rugby in New Zealand is, like, if you're like there like if you're Dan Carter going down to play club again like that is like the, the, that's that's a huge gap where it's like most of the Toronto Arrows were playing club rugby like 3 years ago you know yeah, and but it's like, like and that, that's, that was the Dan highest Carter. level that was the highest level at one point in time right and it's like yeah, so it's, is, we're not talking we're not talking Lions I, tour Dan Carter here we're talking yeah Pass but prime, like five years removed from World Cup duty. So, yeah. I really like if Wayne Gretzky went and played, you know, in a, like, Quebec league, you know, at the age of, like, 45, 
You know, he's going to, he's going to play fine. He's going to play well. He's going to put up some points, but he's not going to make the same impact that Wayne Gretzky at the age of 25 was. I feel like, I feel like you're underestimating how good Wayne Gretzky was. Yeah. But your body settles into a certain way of life. I know that, I know that, uh, you know, uh, Dan Carter has been playing over in Japan uh, but you know he and he's a also only thirty eight. You keep saying he's over forty, which is just not true. But uh, he's I round up with age. Do you know what man? I, I remember like a few years back, it was like I got a call from a buddy that was like you know just looking for some bodies to like fill out like a game of shinny, and he sent me the text. He was like, "Hey man, you cool if there's like an NHL player like there or whatever?" And I'm like, "Yeah, you know what? Of course. Like, why would I not want to play hockey with an NHL player?" And it's like, I kind of get there and I'm like, kind of like, you know, meet the guy and it's like, he's super cool. Just kind of out for a skate because it was during the, the NHL lockout um, back in 2013 there and uh, for, during the 12, 13 season. And he was saying like, and it was like, in my head, I'm kind of thinking, it's like, you know what? Like, I mean, this guy's like, he's a fourth line player or whatever. And I'm like, all right, this would kind of be interesting to be like, oh yeah, like, you know, maybe he's like a bottom 50, bottom 100 guy in the league. Like, and then it's like you get on the ice and I'm just like, oh, right. Bottom 50 player in the NHL is still like, I really hope he does not hit me with a slap shot now because my arm will probably break upon impact. And yeah, so like there's a gap. There's a gap. That's all I'm saying. But still, yeah, it is actually now that you did mention it though, Dan, it's like it is kind of funny to see like, you know, it'll be interesting to see, like, if the MLR grows, if those guys that are playing, like, club rugby and stuff in the offseason, if that starts to go away, obviously, you'd probably need, like, you know, higher salaries and, you know, a little bit more of the, like, somewhere else to maybe go play and train and stuff in order to prevent guys from doing that. But it's like, for right now, I like the fact that the arrow players are, you know, Colby Francis, the Van Horns. Uh, Will Kelly, um, Johnny Sheridan, they all had, you know, their say in the McCormick Cup final last year. So it's like, that's all, that's great to see. And it's like that they do have to do it. But, you know, I feel like, like, hopefully it'll be one of those things that's like, you know, because this was like one of those things that kind of made like a news stories in New Zealand, right? To have like this legend mm-hmm. come back and play club rugby. Whereas if we were like, oh yeah, like Toronto Arrows players are playing club rugby, it's, doesn't surprise us or anything at all because it's like of course they're playing club rugby because that's where they have to go to try you know train and get get better if they're not on the national team that's their only real other option is just go to their club but you know hopefully you know in a few years it'll get to the point where it's like you know hey it's kind of cool that you know on a one-off weekend Colby Francis decides to go down and play for the Brantford Harlequins again as opposed to kind of being like, of course, Colby Francis is playing for the Brampton Harlequins. That's what he does during the offseason. You know, it'll be really, really interesting if they can make the uh, Canadian Rugby Championship a uh, kind of a quasi-Mitre 10 program for, for the for the MLR players, you know. All, all the MLR players from their, you know, uh, their teams down in the States and, and Arrows players all kind of go back to their provincial teams and, and they make a little bit of a run with it, you know, during the off season. It'd be, that would be a very interesting thing um, to kind of see if that would ever happen. But, uh, you know, one player that actually did play in the Mitre 10 uh, Cup is actually uh, on the move away from New Zealand and back to a little bit closer to Canada. Uh, Tyler Ardron, um, it was announced that he would be uh, leaving the Gallagher Chiefs and New Zealand to go uh, – Start early with casters and uh, in the the top fourteen, 
you know, he's joining his teammate from the World Cup, uh, Matt Tierney there. Uh, gentlemen, why is this kind of a better option for, for Ardron? You know, I, we know that uh, he's dealing with a little bit of hamstring injuries, so maybe the rehabbing program's better. But what else is the big pull for, for uh, Tyler to go there? Uh, Stu, we'll start with you. Um, well, i got to say, I think we all know the big allure of the top 14 is uh, the impact it has on your wallet as a benefit. And, um, I mean, obviously he's leaving at a time in which a new coach just come in, which is Warren Gatland. But it's also important to remember that Ardron is 29 at the moment. And by the next World Cup, he will be 33. So for me, this could be the last chance for him to earn the big bucks before his body gives out. Now, if he's given proper care whilst in France and if he can pull, say, an Alan Wynne-Jones style uh, resilience for the next uh, few years until the next World Cup, I can see 2023 being his, uh, probably his retirement from international duty at the very least. And maybe he can uh, come to Canada and play a year or two for the Arrows. Maybe, you know, fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, I think he may as well make the money while he can. You know, that's, that's an interesting point that you kind of brought up that, you know, he's leaving Warren Gatlin, you know, Wales coach, uh, British Irish, Irish Lions coach, you know, that's, that's quite the, uh, the group that he's leaving there. And, you know, uh, Tyler is a, is a registered um, yoga instructor. And that's something that, you know, his, his offside fitness um, has been something that uh, he has highlighted himself either through interviews or his own personal social media. So I think that he's set himself up pretty well. Um, Derek, this is becoming a landing spot in France generally in the top 14 uh, for Canadians. Why are they choosing the uh, France over the pro 14 or the premiership or even trying to make their livings in the mitre 10, hoping for super rugby yeah, um, I think, well, one, I mean, as Stu kind of alluded to, the, the wallet enjoys playing in France. Um, but I think other than that, there's just a lot of, like, the opportunities to, you know, to, to play, to, you know, be in those professional environments and stuff, to grow and get better. Um, obviously, Tyler Ardron has been in the professional environment for quite some time. But um, for a lot of, say, some of the younger players, like, France is definitely an appealing place to go play. But I think even, you know, coming back to Ardron's case here, you have, like, you look at, well, shall we – I mean, Artron plays eight for Canada, but he plays second row pretty much everywhere else. So what do you guys think, like, safe to kind of go with? He'll probably play second row for Castro. I would imagine he's going to play lock. Yeah. That's, I mean, when he played for the Barbarians, he played lock. So I think Yeah, that's... and I mean, yeah, Castor, like, they have him listed as a second row on their website too. So we'll just go with that then. So based on it, it's like here's at least the current, who knows if anybody else will get signed later down the road. But it's like... Castor's second row is Loic Jaquette, Hans Nikinsi, Florent Van... Sorry, excuse me. I'm going to try that name again. Florent Van Verberg and Rhino Patrice. And he, like, so you kind of have 
Jaquette is a 200 plus game top 14 veteran. Um, you know, he's played with all those great Claremont teams and stuff during, you know, crossover with uh, Cudmore there as well. Um, and then you have the other three guys in the Kinsey, Vanverberg, and Petrice has like they're all pretty much brand new. Like you have the Kinsey has nine games for casters. He came out, he's you know, he's born in 92. He came elsewhere from inside the top 14. He's been playing in France for a while. But um, Vanverberg, 19 years old, uh, France U20 World Cup champion. Um, so, like, that's one of the other locks there. Um, same with uh, Rhino Patrice. He's 21 years old. He made his uh, debut for the Bulls in Super Rugby last year. Um, at just 21 years old. So they got, like a pretty young little core of second role players there. And I feel like if you bring in Ardron to that group, one, these guys can learn off of them too. But also it's like, there's like looking at that group, it's like there's clear opportunity for Ardron to be in a starting Jersey week in and week out, which is gotta be something that is super appealing to him too. And, you know, you get to live in France and like that, it's not a whole lot that you can kind of complain about for that. It'd be kind of cool. Like if, you know, if he can stick around there and stuff, you play in France, you kind of get that culture leads into the world cup. That's going to be in France too. Maybe that has some appeal to it as well. Um, but also like you kind of said, like he's got Matt Tierney there with him. It's like, you know, um, one of the things that if you talk to guys like Leandro Livis or Gaston Mirez that, we're playing those like when I did the big interview that I did with them in their first season in Toronto, it's like they mentioned that part of the appeal to joining the team from Levis's perspective was the fact that he already knew that Mirez was there. Right. And in order, you know, you have another guy that's from your country that can speak your language. And that's something that, you know, helped them a lot. And then obviously they brought in Manuel Diana and it was the same thing. Thomas De La Vega comes up and then the next year you have Juan Cruz Gonzalez joins from Argentina. Right. So it's like, it, it kind of, it's a more appealing to go to places. I think when you know, you have some of your countrymen there already and, you know, going to a team that had Matt Tyranny and then previously they had Taylor Paris and now his contract is up, but you know, it's like obviously a club that has had some appeal to Canadians and then has reached out and had a, a lot of Canadians playing for them recently. Whereas if you go down to Super Rugby, he's like, he's the only Canadian in the league at this point. And I think there's only been less than a handful of Canadians all ever that have played in Super Rugby. So maybe, maybe it's just, you know, the sort of, that's maybe part of the appeal is you get to bump into guys like Evan Olmstead or Will Persillier as you're making your rounds around the, uh, uh, top 14 competition as, as it stands right now in France and you know I'm sure we'll have some fact checkers uh, tell me otherwise but I have counted that we have six under 20 uh, or don't worry about the fact 20. checkers they're going to be too busy making fun of how badly I butchered some of those names in the last <laughs> second <there. laughs> apologies to all the second role players on Castor's Olympic um, we have currently six uncapped or under 20 players uh, in academy deals. Um, you know, some of those include Will Priscillier, uh, Quinton James, who joined him at Stade Francais, um, and uh, Tyler Duguid, who is, uh, was one of the newer signings at Montepeller. 
So, and then, you know, including the, the senior players, you know, we got Tierney, Arndron, Evan Olmsen with Baritz, Matt Bukelboom in Montalban, and uh, one of the newer ones, Shane O'Leary in, uh, in a Tier 2 team uh, called Ruin. And, you know, Taylor Paris is a free agent, but apparently he is, from reports that, that we have seen, is looking to stay in France, which why, why blame him? You know, are there, you know, and Stu, are there rules or are there circumstances that are making this easier for these Canadians to say, I kind of like it here. I know we know that with uh, the academy players, it, it's a little bit easier to kind of get your footing on the senior in a senior contract. Well, I think one of the obvious things is being the top 14. There's just more teams compared to, say, the English Premiership. I know that's a very obvious statement, but even the second tier of competition, the D2, is, uh, I believe, like fully pro as well, or at least more semi-pro than, say, the RFU Championship. So there's more options for all of these players as well. Um, and unfortunately, not to get uh, too political, but uh, with the Brexit situation going on at the moment, is that there's the option for these um, players to say, okay, we'll play a season and in our you know, four-week off-season, I can go to this country or I can go to that country and it can be included within the Shelgin zone. I don't need to worry about um, visa issues or anything like that, which would be a problem for the off-season if they were in England, for example. Now, of, now I just want to clarify that a rugby player playing in competition um, would fall under the European agreement that would allow them to play. So don't expect Tyler Ardron to play all his game in France. And then if Castro is playing in the European competition, he's just not there. That's not how that works. Um, but this is, well, I'm only saying this from a personal perspective, is that if I was going to a new continent, I know for Ardron, he's already played um, for the Ospreys in Wales, but for some of these other guys playing in a new continent, you want to be able to see that continent as well. And you'd just be kicking yourself years down the line if you said, oh, I was playing in France for three years. Oh, did you ever go to Spain? No, I just want to stay in France. No, you'd obviously want to go around, explore, see what you can. And if anybody wants proof of that, go and follow Evan Olmstead on uh, Instagram. The guy... Uh, the guy is living his best life over there. So, you know, after hard years of working his body, he is uh, earning some downtime between seasons. So that's, that is a great point, Stu. Um, yeah, and I think what Stu also kind of mentioned, it's like obviously there's more teams in France too, but it's like, Stu, weren't you also saying there's like the actual like import or foreign player rules in the premiership are a little bit more stricter? Uh, yes, if I can just find the exact wording, so any uh, legal entities don't uh, come to us. The uh, legal definition of foreign players for the English Premiership is different to one of non-English players. In addition, players can fall under the Bosman or Colpac rule, and the Bosman ruling reinforced the Treaty of Rome in a sporting context allowing the free movement of EU national workers around other EU countries. 
This effectively means any EU national has the same rights as any local worker and therefore cannot be defined as a foreigner. This ensures that any team for the English Premiership can sign a player within the European Union and they wouldn't fall under the foreign player um, allocation. However, obviously players from North America, South America, Oceania, New Zealand would. And they also state that a maximum of two foreign players can now be on the pitch at any one time at all periods during the season. The level of English qualified players in the Premiership has been fairly consistent since the inception of the league and stands at approximately 70%. So if you're a team manager or the head coach and you're deciding on how many players you can have on your team and you have a great selection of free agents from South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, Argentina, but you can only pick two. You have to make that careful decision. And, and it's tough, you know, when it comes to Americans, you know, you know, uh, even in the, in the U S some of their, you know, overseas players that were, that were either in the, uh, the championship or the premiership are starting to kind of jump off that boat. You know, we're seeing news of Bryce Campbell coming back to uh, the U S uh, after spending some time with the London Irish and uh, um, Joel Tilatafe uh, is uh, jumping ship to the top 14. So, you know, it's, uh, it is a very interesting time overseas when it comes to uh, Americans in, in uh, you know, from, from Canada, the U S or even in South America with the, you know, situation going on in Argentina. Um, but in, in MLR and in North America, we do have a couple of exciting Canadian signings um, and they're, both actually in uh, the same spot. So Rugby ATL re-signed Matt Heaton and Connor Keats. Um, both of them will be uh, signed through to 2023. So they are they, the deals were uh, two-year contracts after their two-year deals with uh, um, their, the inaugural signings. Uh, so gentlemen, my question to you, um, because the deals are inconsequential really uh, because they don't really announce a whole lot about what the deals are in MLR. And it's kind of hard it to is, talk about it, that. It, well, it, I mean, it's good to see that as like they're announcing the term. Like it's nice to see like, Hey, like there, we got a little bit extra detail on that. It's a low it's, bar, Derek. Yeah. Well, I mean, realistically <laughs> though, they're probably like how many rugby leagues around the world even announce how much money you guys make? Like what? What's right? Like anywhere? I mean, that's the problem with, it's a, with MLR, right? Is is they're they're walking this line between we're a rugby league, oh, but we're also a North American sporting yeah. league. You know, like if they want to to dip their toes into that North American sporting landscape, the transparency is something that fans take seriously. So I, listen, that, that's all I'm going to say about that. That's yeah, that's my I mean, my little rant. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right to an extent. I think, you know, maybe Stu, you can chime in and correct me. I think most of like from what it looks like is it looks like like North American sports fans kind of care about things like stats a lot more than some other places in the rest of the world. And I feel like, you know, contracts and stuff are part of that. I don't know, Stu, if you feel differently. I don't know how. 
I think, especially when looking at the British leagues, and by that I mean uh, the English Premiership and the Pro 14, which is more European and South African, there's always reports of when, especially when it's bigger name signings. So, for example, when Justin Mm -hmm. Tipperick re-signed for the Ospreys, there's nothing official ever comes out in terms of figures, in terms of financials, but there's rough estimations, especially with the new uh, Welsh Rugby Union banding system. And as a uh, Lions player, he will likely be in the top band, which is definitely over the half million mark. But that's not a fixed figure. So, um, So, yeah, it's interesting to see. I think one, from a European perspective, it's always been, you know, North America, the sleeping giant for rugby. And if rugby takes off and becomes as big, not even not even as big as say any of like the top four leagues, but even as big as say MLS, then that can put a lot of concern on the European um, teams in terms of oh how if um, players are playing and making multi-million um, contracts uh, on an annual basis because. One thing to consider is that um, the contracts in Europe, most players are on less than a million pounds or a million euros on an annual basis. They'll obviously have sponsorship deals, which will tide them over, not a problem. But if it gets to the point where MLR grows and gets a national TV deal and um, massive and big sponsorship behind it, it could be that we see the first million dollar rugby player in North America within um, that time frame of a- I was gonna say, I, th- I feel like years. you have to put a very big time frame on that one happening though. Like oh, that number oh, yes, might have yes. to start with like 30, 40. Uh, all, you, all you need to do is just get a, a good conglomerate of uh, US billionaires. They were ah. fan, fans of NFL, but want something to watch during the summer. Boom. <laughs> And, and here's here's my uh, my my view on it, and it's I don't think that MLR fans that have been complaining about this are worried about. Uh, they don't want those big signs yet. I think it's more of a transparency thing, and yes, again, it's it's yeah. something that that you know if if we want rugby to succeed, it's something that we have to get used to that. It's not football in that sense, in terms of how they they announce their contracts, and you know, it's not the same. And just got to take our medicine. No, but like I, I kind of feel like you know, there's a lot of times where it's like you know, these guys obviously aren't getting rich playing in Major League Rugby. So if you don't want to like completely disclose it, it doesn't really bother me. But like, or at least disclose it to the amount. But it's like I think. You know, it's. I think it's great what Rugby ATL kind of did with some of these announcements, where it's like, yeah, clearly, Connor Keys, and Matt Heaton signed till twenty twenty three or through twenty twenty three, just because you know it's like, all right, cool. So next off season, um, like, hey, we don't have to worry about being like, is Matt Heaton or Connor Keys resigned because we know that they already are, and it's like it's just kind of like prove like teams kind of showing that it's like okay like that's another step to being like when you're looking at like roster buildings now we can talk about hey like you know going into say the draft next year I'm, 
it'll be like, all right, what does Atlanta need? And you can kind of look at the contracts that Atlanta has already put out and be like, oh, they already have, you know, they already have their back row set. The second row is good. It's like, you know what, maybe they need a center and that's who they will pick in the first round of the draft. But it's like, you can look at that because you're like, okay, hey, everybody's already re-signed. Whereas a lot of teams are like, you know, they either, you know, announce their signings every year because it's like maybe they are only signing guys to one-year contracts or whatnot but you know the it is it is nice to see the term just kind of being on there and i feel like you know as year three happened like you know it was really short but it's like we did start to get injury reports um and now that it's like maybe we are going to start to get a little bit more info on contracts stuff coming out and get a little bit of that because i genuinely feel like you know North American sports fans love that kind of stuff. And I mean, you kind of look at, um, you know, living in Canada, especially like we just had, you know, Canada day came and went and, you know, in a normal year, you know, Canada day means like, you know, going to park barbecues, fireworks and all that. But it also means day one of NHL free agency, which means that it's like, yes, you're going to a barbecue and you're going to a park, but you know, but you're also staring at your phone, scrolling through <laughs> every single free agent contract that's just been signed. And like, you have like Bob McKenzie's Twitter feed, like put on an alert. So you get, you don't miss a transaction while you're there. And you know, that's just kind of the way our sport culture is. Um, but like, I would also kind of like to just, you know, what, what do we think like the impact of just like signing Heaton and Keys is for rugby ATL at this point in time? I'm going to say it's a great thing, especially for two reasons. And one, as you mentioned, that it's a multiple year contract and it shows that ATL is looking to build their squad for future seasons. And also, especially after they announced that uh, Dr. Jamie Ferrante has retired from professional rugby this season so it's good with that information in mind it's good to know that especially if you're a um, rugby ATL fan or a rattlesnake as they like to be known um, that your team is growing and that the players that you've been supporting this season will be around not only next season but another season in the future and I think a big thing too especially with uh, Matt Heaton is you know he, he had a big leadership uh, role with this team on on the pitch, you know, as one of the captains. Um, so that is something that obviously they were really impressed with. So they continue that. And Connor Keys was a fighter this season, you know. And, and Derek and I talked about this earlier uh, in the season. We talked about how he kind of was up, you know, starting the lineup, and he was coming off the bench, and you know. So I think that that's they're rewarding him for his patience and and giving him a chance to. Uh, you know, prove that he can uh, continue to progress. So, so my question to you guys uh, um, to kind of rebuke what Derek just asked us is whose contract and future play will be watched more? You know, we've got Matt Heaton who in the eyes of the national team, he's in one of the most crowded positions, you know, um, on both sides of the scrum, you know, he's going to have a lot of stiff competition when it comes to flankers. Or is it Connor Keyes, you know, younger, 23, will be 24 soon. Um, he could have a chance to solidify a lock position for Canada for years, really. Because, I mean, you look at the, the, the World Cup roster, Josh Larson, you know, Evan Olmstead, Kyle Bailey, Mike Shepard. 
you know, a lot of those guys are, are closer to the end of their careers than the beginning, like Connor is. So who do you guys think is going to have a little bit more attention from the national program? I am conflicted on this because I think obviously with Heaton being the captain, he's going to get more, I don't want to say like screen time, but he's going to be put under more pressure, more scrutiny, and therefore just have a bigger presence with ATL than maybe Keys would have. I, you could obviously build up Keys as a um, great lock player for ATL. And, but at the same time, if Keys, being the young lad that he is, is able to become like the number one pick for Canada in the lock position, he will be able to stand out more on an international level. And yeah, so it, for me, it's really 50 50. If I had to pick one, I'd say, uh, I'm, g- I'm going to be really awful for this. I'm going to say, <laughs> from a Canada perspective, Keys. But from an ATL perspective, Heaton. Yeah, I think I, don't, I think Heaton will get a little bit more. Oh man, I was just about to say Heaton would get a little bit more heat, but uh, that sounds <laughs> terrible. That's a terrible <laughs> sentence. To oh say. boy, this is a rough. A little bit of a rough show for me here. That's where my brain went on that. But yeah, I feel like you know a little bit of the focus I'll have to be on Heaton. I think because you know look at like we said last week or when we were talking with uh brian ray it's like flanker might be the back row might be canada's like deepest position maybe or at least the position that has the most immediate um like the immediate competition is there and you know you got like lucas rumball there you have nakai pennies there heaton like um you know even like kyle bailey can come into the mix and you do and like you end up with a lot of guys kind of fighting for jobs and stuff. And it's, you know, part of what you want major league rugby to do too, is, is like, maybe you're kind of like, Hey, maybe, you know, a guy like Malazzo or Wainwright can, you know, they can start, you know, making that push to be like, can we, can they find a way to even get themselves into like a, you know, national team conversation. I'm sure that's, you know, maybe a goal or something that they would like to be working towards, but for that reason, I kind of think, yeah, like it'll like Heaton just because he has less room for error as far as like solidifying a spot on the national team. Um, but Connor Keys, too, like, like we said, it's like Connor Keys had to kind of fight for his playing time in, um, in Atlanta, right? Obviously, you know, he had some guys like Johan Momsen, Marno Redelinghi's, like that are outstanding and, you know, have and like they took up a lot of playing time without those four and five jerseys because, you know, why wouldn't you want to use those guys? And, you know, I'm not sure if they're coming back next year, but, you know, keys being locked up for two years. It's like, hopefully he'll find a way to, you know, earn some more of those starting opportunities and get, be, have a bigger say in the lineups, but it, he's going to be another position too. Like that it'll be interesting. Cause we got some of, you know, you look at some of like some of the world cup locks and stuff like you know, you kind of mentioned like we would have Evan Olmstead for sure. Kyle Bailey can play there. Mike Shepard is up there in age, and who knows if you know you he'll be in the conversation for the next World Cup as well. So, you know, there's definitely room and even you know room for Connor Keys to get in, earn one of those spots for the future. Obviously, you know other players like Josh Larson and everything too. Like there's 
going to be, you know, quite a bit of competition in that role going forward. But, you know, from that Canadian perspective, I mean, you got to kind of keep an eye on both just because of how tight some of that competition is going to be. Yeah, I think that you guys are too willy-nilly. I think it's going to be Connor Keith that's going to get the most attention. <laughs> it's, I, both, again, it's both. It, it's, it, it, is, it is a tough question. That's why I asked them to you, you too. They're but, both uh, going to play. We can watch both of them. Yeah, it's, it's true. But you know what? I think with the lock position, that is – and when we talked with Brian and we did our, our guesses, it's, that's the one position that's going to have a lot of transition. So I think we might see be seeing a lot of Connor Keys, and we mentioned them already in the podcast, you know, when he signed his new contract with Montalban, he was 22 years old. So Matt uh, Bukaboom is going to be a very busy lad with the, with the national program. I mean, he just missed out on the World Cup uh, extended roster. So very interesting to see what uh, what uh, the future of, of Rugby ATL and Rugby Canada looks like. But sticking with MLR and sticking with a little bit of Canadian flavor, uh, we've, we're playing a little bit more of that armchair general manager business that we like to do here. And uh, the, <laughs> one, the one question I are have... Are you actually uh, going to do it this time or are you going yeah, to... Yeah, like, I've, got my, I've got my... Okay, so you actually yeah. participated. It's not going to be yeah, like, yeah. hey, Derek and Stu do it and then I'm going to wait 20 minutes before I input my answer after thinking about it for some time. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I got, I got my pick. Um... Who is it that you want to see re-sign or sign, depending if he was not uh, not on a MLR roster last year, uh, from Canada's World Cup roster to join an MLR team? And the kicker, and it made them both groan, and it could not be an arrow. So either the player had to be playing in the MLR already or coming overseas to join MLR. What if I want an arrow to sign somewhere else? Is that a loophole in the rules that I can use? I mean, yeah, sure. If you want to, <laughs> if you want to do that, we we joked earlier. Uh, off camera about uh, Lucas Rumble going to NOLA. So if you want that, no, we didn't. We didn't actually hearts. joke about that, guys. We didn't actually joke about that. Dan is making that up. We don't want to lose half the people that listen to this <laughs> podcast. Uh, Derek, so. you go first, man. You tell us about who you who do you want to see signed next. Well, I definitely want to see Lucas Rumball signing with the Toronto Arrows. I have no idea what Dan is talking about. Uh, we definitely were not joking about that. And please continue to listen to the rest of our podcast, all you wonderful Arrows fans out there that we would not like to ruin your long weekend or any of your day, whatever day you're listening to this. I hope we do not ruin it by speaking such nonsense as that. And um, for me, my pick. Um, so I have to pick somebody from the Canadian roster, but it can't be an arrow. The world can't Cup. be an arrow. No. Um, does it matter if he might be playing for the sevens team next year? Is that a rule? No, I mean, we, again, we don't know, right? We don't know who's if yeah. they're going to recommit to the sevens program or not. So I would say sure. All right. Well, then I'll take Andrew Coe. Well, uh, you know, and, you know, you said he can't be an arrow. So I guess that means he can't sign with the arrows. I don't know how you're trying to work yeah, this question be, here either. Can't be with but, the arrows. Uh, yeah, Andrew Coe in an MLR outfit would be a uh, nice to see i think you know he's shown some promise at a couple of positions in the back line and obviously you know he was working towards that goal of playing at the olympics and you know obviously there's a lot up in the air with the olympics we'll be postponing till 2021 but you know so if he wants to stick with doing that then you know obviously he probably wouldn't be signing in major league rugby but you know 
Canon is he's kind of one of those guys that it's like he could probably be a starting winger on Canada at the fifth on the fifteens aside game if he set his mind to it. So if that was an option that he wanted to go with, um, I think the arrows would probably make the most sense for him because he is a blue. But you put in your goofy rules of no arrows, so um, he will not be going there. But um, it's uh, but yeah, I think I would like to see Andrew Coach because he's like he's 24 years old, so he'll be 28 by the time the next World Cup, or I guess 27 by the time the next World Cup rolls around. So that'll be, you know, and it's you just want to get those guys in a lot more game time and everything. So yeah, you know, if he makes the decision to go and try and win a gold medal at the Olympics, then so be it. But if he does not, I would like to see him in an MLR uniform, preferably mm-hmm. Toronto, but. You put so, in those rules. So pick pick a team, pull one out of the hat. Who's he going to then? That's not Toronto. That's not Toronto. Well, let's have some fun. Um, LA. Why not? Go play on yeah. the coast. Uh, that's players. what that's what I was thinking. I, I like that. Uh Stu, who do you who do you want to see signed to an MLR team from the Canada roster? Well, I've been looking at the squad for Canada from the World Cup, and I think we obviously need to look with a four-year plan and look towards the next Rugby World Cup. And the problem is, is that the youngest players are all Toronto Arrows players, so I can't pick them. And the other guys um, are players we've already talked about. So including our good friend Lucas Rumble, who will be remaining with the Arrows forever and ever, we hope. Um, so I'm going to have to pick... As the... long as we don't let Dan be the GM, I think we're fine. <laughs> okay, absolutely. Um, so I'm going to have to pick somebody that played for the Ontario Arrows and has experience with the Ontario Blues, now currently plays for the second Canadian MLR team in Seattle, and that is Justice Sears Derue. Now, he already has over 50 caps, so he has a wealth of experience with the Canadian team. And he has been gold for the Seawolves. And I think that's a good balance to have because he's only 26 at the moment. And I can definitely see him being a mainstay, at least until the next World Cup cycle. And... And I've been saying all this, and I'll probably check afterwards, or a fact checker will come in and say, well, he's already signed another year for Seattle. But I haven't seen it, so technically it doesn't count. Therefore, I'm (laughs) going to pick Sears DeRue. Well, my friend, I also picked the Justice Sears DeRue. And I will tell you that um, all the re-signing news just says that he's been re-signed. It doesn't say how many years, so... You wouldn't be able to check anyways. Um, So I hate having the same answer as somebody else. It drives me up the wall. I hate when people order the same thing as me when I'm out for dinner. I automatically change my meal because I can't stand it. So I'm going to do a 180, but I am going to stick with the Pacific Northwest, and I am going to say I want to see George Barton get re-signed by the Seawolves. Again, we do from what I can see online, it doesn't say anything about him being re-signed again. We don't know. Um, and I like what George has brought to the Seawolves. I think that, uh, I think that he will be a, a fun player to continuously watch and he's young and that's, that's the bare bones of it. 
Um, and I am stuck in a rut because he wasn't on the World Cup roster, but this is what happens when someone steals your answer. You know what, Dan? I will give you a different answer if you would like. So that way you can, sure. you can claim I'm, it as your own. I am absolutely flustered, so you go ahead and give one, me an answer. One other guy on it, and I mean, obviously, he's kind of winding down his career, so it'll be kind of completely up to him. But if you were to be like, sign a player, any MLR team, I'm going to say including the arrows just for fun, even though probably not. But DTH Vandermerver, I think, would be, to me, he's like the ideal MLR guy just because it would be great to have a guy in the league like we're seeing like a bunch of legends come over from overseas to join the league, right? Chris Robshaw is signing a two-year deal with the San Diego Legion. Legion had Mananu last year. We've seen the Beast, Bastero, Foden, a lot, uh, Ranger, a lot of, you know, great players from overseas. And, you know, sometimes you can kind of use that, hey, like they're at the end of their career coming, you know, to the North American League. And to me, I think it would be really cool to have like North American players be able to learn from a North American legend that was phenomenal overseas, right? Like, you know, DTH, arguably the best Canadian rugby player ever. There's a couple other names that you can put into the discussion, like Reese and Sharon. Um, but for him to, when he retired or when he left Glasgow earlier this year and is now free agent, he's now retired from, you know, Canadian international rugby as well. And, but it's like, he's like the third all time leading try score in pro 14. He's the leading try score in the history of the Glasgow warriors. And, you know, he's, you know, was, you know, if he got that game with Namibia, maybe he comes what becomes one of the few guys to score a try in four world cups. And, you know, the point being is that it's like, regardless, like is DTH is a genuinely elite player that like an elite on like a global level of measuring elite, like he is an elite player and he, you know, is from Canada and obviously he was born in South Africa first and moved here. But, you know, it, I think it would be great to have a guy like that just to be able to, you know, mentor young North American players and be like, you know, because if you're going to have, if the MLR is going to be a league that develops North American players, eventually you're going to get guys that are like, you know what, the MLR is maybe, you know, maybe I need to go to a better league to, in order to improve myself more, right? Maybe I need to do what Ardron or Olmstead, you know, does. And then we need to go overseas to play because that's how, you know, Tierney, Will Persilier, guys like that, that are like, we, we're going to get better because we can, we have more options than just MLR because we're already that good. And, you know, go overseas and get better. But it's like, it'd be cool to have a North American player that actually was able to do that in the league. And, on whichever team he ends up playing on would be, I think it would be what, like, it'd be a great thing to see, I think. And, you know, it, it's funny. Um, a few, a few episodes into the, into the summer, we talked about uh, DTH coming to MLR and we talked about Taylor Paris as well. Um, so if anyone wants to kind of hear Derek and my thoughts, sorry, Stu, unfortunately you weren't part of the team just yet. Uh, but 
it, it was something that we did actually in, in depth talk about, you know, I think we came to the conclusion that uh, rugby ATL was a good, would be a good spot uh, for him and Taylor Paris would be a good fit with the arrow. So it, it definitely is a, a good possibility. Stu should just go and record his own thoughts and then we can edit it in after. <laughs> well, one thing I do want to mention is that a, a winger position has been made vacant on the arrows by the uh, retirement of uh, Mr. Dan Moore. I'm just saying if uh, Mr. Van der Merwe would like to uh, prove his capabilities in MLR, that there are two big shoes that he could, you know, try and fill, that uh, the option is there for him. Well, I've sounds, been watching. I've been watching. Sounds like that spot may have already been uh, been locked up, though. So, oh, don't say that, Derek. Yeah, we'll see yeah, if we just... get some. Uh, we'll see if we get some signing news coming out soon here. But, and you know, I, I've been watching it's not DTH, DTH's. But yeah, I've been good. watching his uh, Instagram stories to see if there's any. Oh, is 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 he moving? Oh, and uh, all lately, all he's been doing is helping his buddy. Uh, building a house, yeah. Building a house, so it's just like you're no help. You don't help at all for my for my nerves and my it's a nice looking house though. Like they're doing oh, yeah. a pretty good job of it. Yeah, I'm I'm I was very impressed. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're, let's talk a little bit about building then. You know, we let's move on from Canada and let's move to the U.S. because something is building in the Pacific Islands and it has created quite a stir. Um, again, going back a few episodes ago, Derek and I talked about the possibility of a Hawaiian. MLR and Derek quickly shot it down saying that there were a lot of things that were kind of going to be in the way. And we kind of agreed that it was a nice idea, but a little far-fetched. Well, seems that some recent news from um, someone that is involved with, uh, with the MLR and uh, Hawaiian rugby uh, has kind of changed the tune of what maybe we thought was possible. Um, Cam Kilgore, and if you look him up on uh, on LinkedIn, he is the manager of um, Canola, Cananola, so unfortunately I can't say it properly, so I apologize about that, uh, of Cananola Rugby, um, Hawaii. Uh, apparently they have made some big steps into bringing a franchise to Hawaii. Gentlemen, what has been announced and, and what – what does this really mean? Because, you know, it's one thing to kind of take this guy's word to heart, but it's been kind of a ghost town from the league's perspective. So, you know, what has been announced and can we take it, you know, take it to heart? Well, what's been announced so far, and this has been on, so I first got the news on the MLR subreddit and it was from another podcast, because we all, we all love our podcasts here, is the Please Blow My Mind with Will Fleming podcast. And I'll just give the brief analysis, is that Cam Gilmore confirmed um, that this Hawaiian MLR team um, has met the first approval by MLR. Um, they already have partnerships with Hawaii University, that's for training, and Hawaii Airlines, which is obviously a major asset to have, especially for a Pacific Island team. Uh, They're currently working with the Hawaiian government. They're in the process of recruiting players and have connections with New Zealand rugby. 
Um, one of the big things they also mentioned is that Rooney and Toronto are okay with the cost for travel to Hawaii, which I think is part of the partnership with Hawaii Airlines. And I think that's always been the major concern that we were talking about for a Hawaiian team is that how are the other teams, especially those in the Eastern Conference, because I'm going to go on a limb here and say Hawaii would be in the Western Conference, is how hey, these teams... You never know. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's always been the big thing is that with a young league and a league that um, isn't necessarily turning in the big bucks compared to the top four uh, leagues in uh, North American sport, would be how would travel be covered? And so if they do have a partnership with Hawaii Airlines, I think that it would be fantastic. Um, it, it should be noted that Boston is further away from Hawaii than New York or Toronto is. However, I've also just done some quick research and found that Hawaiian Airlines do have flights from Honolulu to Logan International Airport in Boston. So that could be an option for them. But at the same time, if they have to take a four-hour journey uh, down the freeway to JFK Airport, I'm sure they'll be fine and to be compensated that way. Um, there, there are still a lot of um, boxes that need to be ticked and things that need to be approved, I assume. But at the same time, this seems a more concrete uh, proposal as opposed to just hypothesizing that a Hawaiian team could be in MLR. Yeah, well, even with that, Kilgore has set up a uh, Kanaloa Rugby Hawaii Facebook page, Instagram page. And, you know, earlier this weekend, they put out a little teaser for a major announcement coming soon sometime this week. Um, you know, and uh, the MLR rant guys, you know, they've been putting out a little bit saying that, you know, they're, you know, they're going to have like an interview with him, I believe sometime later this week. So I'm assuming this week we're going to get a little bit more information about um, the potential Hawaii bid right now. I think kind of to Stu's point, I think obviously travel again, huge issue. Um, it's always going to be a huge issue. It's probably the biggest obstacle that they have to kind of figure out a way to overcome here. But I think like, if I'm an East Coast team, I feel like if we got to be like, all right, like if I'm Toronto, New York, New England, D.C., NOLA, um, when then, you know, whichever Texas team, I guess, would get shifted over to the East for, uh, for this as well. But like if I'm them, I'm kind of thinking you have to still play the other division if they keep a similar format to what they did last year. So I wouldn't have teams be like, I right, let's just fly straight to Hawaii. I'd be like, all right, cool. You get three games against a Western Conference team, cut down on some cost. Be like, Toronto flies, you play Seattle. S Seattle, you fly to Hawaii, play Hawaii. Fly back, play LA, and then fly back to Toronto. Like that maybe is an option. Kind of link up road trips, do a little three-week road trip, get back to Toronto, have your bye week, and then go about the rest of your season. Um, I'm sure teams maybe would prefer to have their bye week in Hawaii. That might be a thing that teams kind of <laughs> want to do or have an overlap. Um, so I like a bye week in Hawaii, and I'm not even playing. Yeah. 
yeah, it should be exactly, the, re- right? it should be the like, reward you know the, the, for coming in last it's like you know but that's the thing it's like i think to get some that something nice like a car and like in the nfl yeah. the last person draft get the mlr or you, you get a car if you come in last the year before the next year you get the uh the bye week in hawaii yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think, like, from some of the stuff that we know right now, like Kenaloa, uh, excuse me, Kenaloa, Hawaii, like, I think that's a super cool name. You kind of go with something that's uniquely Hawaiian. And, you know, obviously, none of the other teams in any of the major sports use it because it's so specific to Hawaii. And, and you know what? I think that's a great point, Derek. And Kilgore, if anyone wants to watch this interview, it's on the MLR Reddit. And, uh, that we're speaking about. And it's a 15 minute long video. It's not very long. Um, but he talks about the passion that he has about uh, creating a environment where Pacific Islanders can be proud about a, uh, a sports franchise. You know, there, there, other than the university, there is nothing there uh, for them to have as their own. And, you know, he really talks about, you know, his, his experiences with the Cooks Island national team and, with the blues program and how he wants this to be something that Hawaii can contribute to because they love their, you know, their, their, their contact sports. Um, then it, it could have a passionate bit fan base behind it. Yeah. The um, one interesting thing to kind of add on to that though, is he did also mention that he's been working with Adam Gilchrist and he was part of the group that brought us the Austin Gilgronies and the Austin or and the LA Giltinis. And, you know, a lot of the owners in the league seem to be under the impression that the L.A. team was going to be called the Loyals. You had uh, Brian Ray, I believe, of America's Rugby News. He had a little article that kind of had some, you know, concept art that had Loyals branding on it. So, you know, I wouldn't get too locked into the name until we see what the actual name of the team is going to be, just because, you know, it is from the same group, right? So, but um, I don't know, like, what... One of the things he did mention was maybe there's a little chance of it being 2021. How do you guys feel about that? I mean, that's something they did bring up, and it wasn't the plan from them to begin with. I think they were planning on uh, joining in 2022. But because of uh, Colorado leaving in May of this year, the opportunity has presented itself that if they can get everything in place, if they can get full approval by MLR, that they can have them joining for the 2021 season. And I think having an even number of teams um, overall, as was demonstrated for uh, 20, for this season by having 12 teams and having six in each uh, league, sorry, six in each conference, is that you're able to find um, an even number of games you're able to, it just makes it a lot easier, especially from the administrative side, and you can figure things out that way. I th- one other thing I want to mention is that one of the big things when it comes to rugby is the... Um, capturing of Pacific Island players from, say, Tonga, Samoa, Fiji, into team into the Tier 1 teams of uh, New Zealand, Wales, England, and, because they can provide the big bucks and they can provide the opportunity. 
and the US has for specific um, purposes their own Pacific island that has um, a good connection with uh, rugby and good connection to uh, American football in terms of the Rainbow Warriors and whilst we know that um, NF and American football and rugby aren't a one-to-one -one comparison there are obviously things that cross over like the physicality the athleticism that can be used to benefit and I definitely agree I think this is something that could definitely benefit the league by having Hawaii here obviously there will be hurdles to overcome but it's something that especially as a new league you can use to stand out and that will only be for MLR's benefit yeah I don't uh, go ahead Dan go ahead I'll say yeah. my thing um one uh, well what I want to say quickly was something going off of what you mentioned about Adam uh Gilcrest and and th this is more of a perception based on what was said in the interview and it was interesting it seemed that Gilcrest was more there to it was persuade Gilgore to go through this and also to kind of advise. So if we're going off of what I heard them kind of talk about in the interview, it doesn't sound like he's going to be a partner in the team, more of as an advisor. So I think he just, I think it's, to me, it sounded more like he just used to work for him and help them yeah, on this, yeah. which probably gives him some insight at the very least into what the MLR's process is and what they would look for in an ownership group. And exactly. Team. I like, I think for a lot of the same reasons, like, yeah, I, th I completely agree with Stu. I think having a Hawaiian team would definitely be something that stands out. Um, I think, you know, there is that little thing to kind of be leery about where, you know, teams, it's like maybe there's a reason that none of the other major sports leagues have done that. But, you know, none of the major sports leagues put teams in Vegas and now everybody wants to put a team in Vegas, right? And then, you know, so there's – those things will come. Um, but – I, the one thing that I kind of am is like, I don't think I like this for an idea for 2021. I think it should be a 2022 thing. And, you know, the Raptors left, but I don't really want to see the league like rush something just because Fair like point. there's no, they, there's no rule saying you, your sports league has to have an even number of teams. It's like the MLR has played seasons with seven teams nine teams they played one season last year which i mean realistically was five weeks with 12 teams and now you're back to 13 so you're back to your uneven number you've figured it out like you can do multiple more than one bye week for teams but um for myself though i'm just kind of like the why i don't like the idea of 2021 is just because of like just the other optics it's like one the colorado raptors dispersal draft is already done so that's filled out the LA and Dallas rosters. The collegiate draft is done. So that's filled out or helped to gather prospects from every other team. So you can't like redo that or just be like, or add players, right? So, you know, the, the Hawaiian team would lose those opportunities, right? It's not like you can be like, all right, you know, guys like Chad Goff and, you know, it's like, hey, man, you guys got to go back into the draft. You might end up having to go play Hawaii now because we have to redo this. Um, yeah. I don't think that makes any sense. And because of that, I don't really think that. But two, I think if you announce that this team can come in, I think what you got to do is you just go, hey, you know, hey, Cam, Mr. Kilgore, you got one year to hype this up beyond belief. 
so that in 2022, when the league comes, it's like you have that marketing and you have that hype, you know, within Hawaii surrounding the team joining. And I think you could kind of do things like take a little page out of the NFL playbook, maybe, right? Where, and, you know, host an event of some sort in Hawaii, right? Like the NFL did the Pro Bowl in Hawaii for a long period of time. So maybe you can do that, but maybe, you know, you can take it to other things and be like, you know what, we're going to do the MLR final can be in Hawaii this year, right? As opposed to just being, you know, whoever, you know, whoever has the best record of the two teams that are left can be like, let's go to Hawaii. Or you can do a Pro Bowl thing, do like an all-star game in Hawaii. You can do both. You know, if you want to, you know, obviously teams like Toronto, New York, New England, Utah, we're still going to have the same issue of, you know, do you want these guys playing games in the snow, which was the reason to do the Vegas weekend. Now you can maybe kind of look at it and be like, all right, instead of Vegas, because we have a Hawaiian or we have a guy that wants to put a team in Hawaii, let's maybe test this a little bit and be like, boys, you know, one, Toronto and New York, you guys want to see what it's like to travel to Hawaii, play a game, come back and play a game. See if this is something that you're willing to do like <laughs> once a year. It's like, cool. Like we got to see if this actually works. So be like, all right, sweet Vegas weekend, Toronto versus New York in Hawaii, fly both the teams over, make them play a game, fly them both back and figure out. If it's like, Hey, is this a feasible thing? Like let's try it before we actually play a full season with this team in it. Uh, but obviously invite other teams too. invite, you know, do like basically the Vegas weekend is kind of what I'm suggesting, but put it in Hawaii and, but like bring like San Diego. Cause they're going to have some Wuching from Hawaii. They'll have Rob Shaw, who's just a massive name. Maybe they'll have Nanu, who knows, you know, a team to like, you, you can kind of build hype around Utah. Obviously they have a lot of Pacific Island connections. So that'd probably be a good team, this stuff to bring over. Yeah. And then, you know, bring over the teams like Toronto, New York, new england that are going to be in the snow and be like all right yeah like here's your vegas weekend we can play games we'll test the hawaii market or you know just do a bunch of mlr events in the 2021 season to build up that marketing to be like when you know if they do decide that hey yeah this is the route we want to go we want to have a hawaiian team in our league for 2022 it's like you've already kind of figured things out you've had teams experience the trip you can get feedback on how they would like that you know feedback could even be things like hey do you want to play a team in california or seattle before you fly over would you rather do that on the way back would you like a bye week on the week before the week after like what's the best way to kind of build the schedule um and just kind of you know, use the 2021 season. If you want the Hawaiian team, like even if the Hawaiian, even if, hey, who knows, man, maybe this major announcement is like, yeah, cool, Hawaiian team um, is going to be in the league, but it's like you can announce it and then give it kind of like what like what we've recently seen, like the NHL has given the Vegas Golden Knights. They had like a couple years to build up marketing and then they made the draft and stuff a big deal. Um, they're doing the same thing with Seattle, although the COVID-19 pandemic has kind of put a damper on some of their Seattle preparations. But then like, so go through 2021 like that. But then at the end of 2021, make the, because the dispersal draft was basically a secret. Um, the expansion draft seems to also be like it's on track to be basically a secret, but to bring in Hawaii, make it a big deal, right? Like let's have all the, you know, make it, I mean, it sounds like it was like you can protect 30 guys. Let's bring that number way down and be like, make it do what the NHL kind of did. Be like, you can protect this many forwards. You can protect this many backs. 
and maybe give them some options and then be like, yeah, figure out what you want to do. And then you can have, and then, but like submit that protected list and then you can have like, we can be doing a podcast like a week being like, I can't believe the arrows didn't protect this guy. I can't believe San Diego is willing to let this guy go. I can't believe Nola protected this guy instead of this guy. And you can build up all that conversation and it just adds to the hype of a Hawaiian team joining or realistically of any team joining. But that's why I'd be like, just push it back to 2022. So we got, we got to wrap up guys. So I've got one more question to ask you and it's about, about this. Um, Stu, what do you think about what Derek kind of just said that, that it is an appealing uh, option. I mean, we saw what new England did and we saw what, uh, Old Glory DC did with the kind of their exhibition seasons before the, you know they joined MLR, and it would be very interesting to see if Hawaii could tour, you know, maybe play some minor ten teams, or you know, get uh, you know Fiji's uh, kind of seconds team was going to play a game in Vancouver. Maybe they'd be willing to play a game in you know Hawaii. Do you think that Dare's kind of on the right track? I I'm going to agree with Derek in terms of preparing. Um, preparation for 2022 because um, Kilgore did tease a big announcement this week. And I would say if it's not they're joining for 2021, then it should be, oh, we plan to join for 2022. I know from talking to uh, Bill Webb and Mark Kilgore for the Arrows because they did have the Ontario Arrows, um, for at least a year before they joined and became the Toronto Arrows, but they joined officially on November the 2nd, 2018. And from what they've told me is that, yes, you can have a lot of things already in the pipeline and ready to go, but until the official announcement comes out, you can't get everything ready. So you can't confirm practice venues, you can't confirm which who will be playing or who will be even able to turn up for training because it's not official yet. And there was also the major rebrand from Ontario Arrows to Toronto Arrows. And I think given that the situation of COVID has allowed um, people to have more time on their hands and certain things, so working from home and things like that, it would be a good opportunity for the announcement to be as soon as possible. I'd say if it's, if this announcement this coming week isn't about joining for this year, then it should be for joining for next year. That's why I think it should be for 2022 though, is like, I mean, you don't have to do everything. I was just kind of spitballing ideas of like how you can maybe build a fan base and, you know, do a little bit of a trial of having, you know, because Kilgore said that he, you know, Toronto and New York don't have an issue with the cost, but it's like, all right, cool. It's, but do you have an issue with flying over to Hawaii on yeah, playing I'm- playing a Hawaiian team on a Saturday? And then, you know what, you got to play Seattle on Friday night the following week. Is that a problem? Or whatever? Yeah, do you not like that? Yeah, exactly. Because that's yeah, it's, it's easier to say on paper. Yeah. Before yeah, this you is like, that's how the schedule works. It's like, how do you do you guys um, like that? Or you just went to hell and back with, with Rooney, and then they're like, okay, so you're going to go play a team that promises a team full of Pacific Islanders. Have fun with that. Oh, it's also going to be in a different time zone. Oh, also, Hawaii is super muggy. 
and it really there's a lot like well, that that is a lot but even even that though it's like the other thing you got to work out it's like how do you want to have hawaii come over and play like you know if if they got to like do you want to mix in their like road trips i'm assuming they're gonna kind of go with a little bit of a wolf pack-esque formula here where they're going to play games in blocks right but it's like do you want like what yeah. would you would you rather have do you would you rather have uh you know an eight and eight block if we're sticking with a 16 game schedule would you rather have four blocks of four would you you know would you rather kind of maybe divide it up but the other end of it is too right is it's like um what is it it's like a six hour flight from california to hawaii something like that yeah right? <laughs> It is. It's a six-hour flight. Yep. Yeah. Just so if, about. Yeah. So if it's a six-hour, fl- but it's also like, what is it from Boston to like LA? That's about a six-hour flight on its yeah. own, right? My 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 honeymoon flight was. We decided to try to save some money, so we went from Toronto to Chicago, Chicago to LA, LA to the island of Hawaii, which is a, a different island than where they're suggesting they play. So. It was just chaos in a nutshell. So I'm not too sure about what the difference is across. Right. So like, okay, so either way, though. So like East Coast, North America to West Coast, North America, but a five to six hour flight, right? West Coast to Hawaii is about a five to six hour flight from what it sounds like. So it's like, you know, like, do you even need blocks? It's like Toronto has played Seattle, come home and played a home game in like weeks. Um, you know, it's like Toronto has, or sorry, that's not really true. I kind of screwed up the way I said that Toronto has flown to Seattle, come back to Toronto practiced and then flown out to wherever their next game is. Right. So it's like, if like, unless, so it's like, is that something that a Hawaiian team would be willing to do on a regular basis? Or do you want, right. Like Toronto fly has done the six hour flight, fly back home and then fly out to wherever their next game is. And so is that something that they would like to do? Is that something? Um, I don't know. Is that even, is that an option? Like if Seattle or LA has to play, do they need a bye week? Because it's like, it's just, it's not much different than if they played an East coast team. Right. So it's like, there's things that yeah. you can kind of work out there. Um, but I think ultimately, I just think for like mar- the purposes of like marketing and things like that, like you said, it's like, like Stu kind of mentioned the Toronto arrows, they existed in the form of the Ontario arrows in which they played a number of home games and stuff in Toronto ahead of before they were even, into major league rugby they also played games against other major league rugby teams you know those exhibition matches and like so by the time the arrows are actually playing like their first major league rugby game they already have a fan base established so if you're a hawaiian team like why not take the year to just do that anyway get logistics down yeah and get logistics and like i said bring over do whether it's the vegas weekend whether it's a pro bowl-esque all-star game of some sort or whether it's the MLR final, right? It's like, do have a major league event in Hawaii in order to be like, you know, get all, you know, get as many faces, big faces from the league over so you can let everybody see it, let everybody see like, what is the, you know, what for the players too, it's like, hey man, you know, if we're playing for Toronto, what is the flight, the, you know, the 12 hour flight feel like before we want to play a game, right? Like, do we do the same thing? Do we like, you know, do we have to leave earlier to get more acclimatized to it? And, you know, things like that. Like what are those other logistics and stuff? And I just think that's why, to me, that's why 2022 might be the better option, but we'll see what happens on Wednesday or uh, whenever they do this announcement or later this week, I guess. 
we'll even see it, what the it, announcement is. Like, who knows what the announcement yeah. actually is. The interesting point that you kind of made there, Derek, and we're, we're wrapping up now, but you're kind of mentioning the player's input. And yeah. as of right now, we really don't know how much of the input they, they've made. You know, the, a union is starting to coalesce now. So we a lot of things are up in the air with the league. And so we are excited to see what becomes of this. Um, the last thing that uh, we're going to just quickly talk about is um, Rugby Canada has released another uh, From the Vault um, sponsored by a DHL. And uh, Stu, this might be a good game to get under your belt as one of those Canada games you need to watch. Uh, it's the 2014 semifinal between Canada and France from the Women's World Cup of Rugby. And uh, it was quite the match. I, I watched a little bit of it today and it's on their Facebook page. So anyone that's looking to watch a, a classic Canadian game, watch some of the uh, stars of women's rugby uh, from Canada's past, you know, Andrea Burke, Malagvi, Harvey, Laura Russell, a lot of really, really good. Karen Paquin, who's now playing for the Sevens program. You know, a lot of really talented, talented uh, uh, women playing on the pitch. So uh, lots of fun to watch. And uh, if anyone else is uh, looking to listen to more of our episodes, um, head to LaRue's Rugby on Twitter. Um, we now have an Instagram uh, page as well. Um, so we will be updating on there as well about our uh, episodes and uh, on there, we'll have our uh, Anchor account, which has archives of all of our, our episodes. So please feel free to uh, take a listen and then hear more about what Derek and I had to say about DTH coming to MLR. Um, gentlemen, thank you again for joining. And uh, hopefully by next week, we'll be uh, drinking some uh, tropical drinks and, and celebrating the arrival of the Hawaiian MLR team.